Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Great conversation today with Ezra Kuchars. Ezra started out in the Army as a, an Army officer, eventually found himself in uh, NASA in their Space Shuttle and Space Station Medical Operations Division, and uh, got an advanced degree, worked at Duke University, and that meeting at Duke, he eventually met Coach K in the sports department, and he got on the kind of the front end of the internet revolution at the time, and he's become this award-winning corporate entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and he served a number of senior-level positions at NBC Universal. He's a chief operating officer for iVillage and a senior vice president for digital innovation, where he launched NBC Universal Digital Media Studio. He's created high growth and scale digital organizations within legacy businesses for the past 17 years. And he's, again, got more than 20 years experience creating, evolving, and managing several leading internet sports, media, and entertainment programs. He just recently... Uh, after for a while, he was a special advisor to the CEO of CBS Corporation, Les Moonves, and he served as the president of CBS Local Digital Media since February of 2010. He just has developed this vast platform of news, sports, event, music, and entertainment properties and bringing together the most trusted brands in media. But I really appreciate Ezra's leadership style and his views on life and mindset which we talk about a lot here in Dose of Leadership, and Ezra's mindset is something that we should all emulate, um, specifically when uh, obstacles present themselves to you. Um, sometimes we can let that obstacle bury us, but the way Ezra looks at it is that the obstacle actually becomes the way. The obstacle can actually point you into so many other opportunities, so many other doors that you can go through as long as you're willing to take the smart risk to go through them. And Ezra's life is, is an, a great example of that. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation, all the nuggets that he provides and the wealth and the vast knowledge that he provides when it comes to uh, leadership and taking smart risk. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. Reach out to me at richard at Email me directly or you can go to the contact pages on richardryerson.com and doseofleadership.com. I answer every single email and just let me know, no strings attached, where you're at in your journey and what advice you can need, how I can help you become the better leader that you were called to be. I'm more than happy to see where you're at. You can also learn more about my coaching and speaking services, my masterminding at richardryerson.com, and of course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, my online video course coupled with four interactive online coaching sessions with me for $349 a seat. You can learn more about that, again, at legacyleaderblueprint.com or follow the links on Dose of Leadership or richardryerson.com. All right, without further ado, here's Ezra Kuchars here on Dose of Leadership. Ezra, welcome to Dose of Leadership. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to invite me as a guest. I'm so impressed with uh, your resume and all that you've accomplished over the years. It's interesting that you started out as, a, as an Army officer going back, you know, and as a former Marine Corps officer, I always ask this question for guys that, that have been in the military. How much of that experience translated or helped you in the, the corporate arena? It helped me a lot. I, I would agree with you. It helps me every day. I think you learn uh, a pretty amazing work ethic in the military where, you know, hard, everything is uh, is about hard work. And so 
when I look at my peers, um, you know, I will outwork uh, any anybody in my peer group uh, just because uh, uh, it's a way I've been able to get ahead. And so I, I look back at my military experience as, uh, as something that was uh, tremendous and it really uh, it helped me with my career. Yeah, I would say that the, the tenacity piece, the Marine Corps ingrained in me more than anything else. I mean, I, I suppose you could say you're always tenacious, but I think the, the never quit attitude was deeply ingrained in me once I was in the military. That that's the biggest takeaway I got, and and the and it's less about talent, more about tenacity for for me anyway. Yeah, look, there, there's certainly been a lot of stuff that's come out um, uh, in the industry in the trades the last year or two. You know, Angela Duckworth's book about grit, right? I think really talks to this. Uh, you know, intelligence is important, but really, what kind of sets people for success is hard work and resilience, right? And you know, I always joke about it. I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, <laughs> but I, but but I'm about as resilient as they come, and I'll work harder than anybody. And that's really how I've gotten ahead. And and uh, you know, especially when you you meet a lot of millennial, uh, you know, staff members who worked for me over the last few years. You know, it's something we've had to work on with them. Where you know, it, it's it's not. Um, you know, it may not be the kind of the view that Silicon Valley takes of the workplace you know it, it's interesting to see how you know if i look at your your career path and and I'm, I'm curious to learn about this i would imagine that if i asked you 25 years ago you'd be doing what you're doing now you'd probably say i, I had no idea i'd be doing this is that a fair assessment yeah i uh I really thought I was going to be flying helicopters in the army for the, you know the, the first 20 25 years of my career. Yeah. I I thought I was going to be a medevac pilot and and uh you know life uh life throws a bunch of curveballs at you and uh what I learned early on is you, you can't really have a career plan cuz it never goes as planned. You just got to work hard and seize opportunities when they come. And I think that's important, right? And that's the mindset that I kind of wanted to tap into is like when an opportunity presents itself, you seem like the type of guy that goes through the door and just seeing where it leads. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, I am definitely, you know, the old cliche or it's not so old, but a cliche about, you know, when you're uh, when you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask which seat. Right. <laughs> right. And and, uh, and so for me, I've had a couple times in my career where. I believed in what an organization or an individual was doing, and I joined that organization. And, you know, nine times out of ten for me, it, that's worked. Uh, occasionally, you know, you make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they're not always going to be perfect, but even sometimes those bad decisions present itself with two, three, or four other doors, right? I mean, I think sometimes what has seemed an insurmountable mountable obstacle, and I think this is important in leadership, is sometimes the obstacle actually is the way, right? The obstacle actually steers you to the path that you're supposed to be going anyway. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, even when I failed in my career, it's turned into new, huge opportunities for me. And, and as long as you're learning, um, it works. And so for me, uh, you know, when I look at a job or a role, I'm always focused on what am I going to learn and who am I going to work with and who am I going to network with. And it's a different approach. I'm not I'm not worried about status. I'm not worried about you know, big office. And, you know, I've had the jobs with those type of things. And, you know, uh, the most important things are 
professional growth and, you know, and opportunity. So how did that lead to total sports? This was very interesting, you know, at the, at the dawn of kind of the digital um, media age, you founded total sports or was one of the, the founders anyway. And how did that come about? That would, seems very, and that's early on. You're still in the army at this time. Yep. I'm in the reserve still then. Um, so it, it's, it's a, once again, it's one of these like uh, beautiful accidents. Um, I was an army officer, like literally the week after I graduated school, I was in the army. Um, and I was, uh, at Fort, Fort Knox assigned to the 12th cavalry. And, uh, you know, I had, like I said earlier, I was set on being a medevac pilot, but there were in 1989 and 90, there were these congressional cuts for the military called the Graham Graham Rudman cuts. Yep. And uh, they cut the helicopter pilot slots by two thirds. So I ended up in my second choice, which was being a armored cavalry officer. And so I ended up at Fort Knox uh, during the beginning of the first Gulf War. And through a confluence of just, you know, things that just sort of happened, I end up um, getting a civilian job at NASA at the Johnson Space Center. And uh, I worked there as a mission controller uh, for the first 18 months. And it was, it was a crazy time in the space program. We were doing, we did 11 space shuttle missions in 18 months. And as one was coming up, one was coming down and it was just, um, it was crazy. It was, it was probably a little too much. And then uh, my last two years there, I ran all medical training for astronauts and mission controllers. And um, while I was there, they sent me to business school at night. Um, And, you know, look, I have a bunch of buddies that are astronauts. And uh, they said, you know, if you are serious about wanting to try to get an astronaut slot, you got to get another advanced science degree. So um, I got a full ride to Duke from the NIH. Wow. and, uh, you know, this is 1994. Uh, there's this new thing called the Internet. And I'm doing all this research in medicine, the Internet, and artificial intelligence. And I, about a year into the program, I, I had this buddy, a guy named Quinn Snyder, who's the uh, head coach of the Utah Jazz uh, now. And, you know, I, I'm saying to him one day, you know, I wish I could do in sports what I'm doing at the hospital. You know, it's this great thing called the Internet, blah, blah, blah. And so probably about a week or two later, um, I find myself in Coach K's office with Coach K, Quinn, uh, a bunch of coaches, senior staff from the athletic department, and Mrs. K. Wow. And telling them about this great, and this is like 1995 at this point. Right. There's this great thing called the internet. It's going to take over everything. You need to be online. The athletic department needs to be online, et cetera, et cetera. And to his credit, he greenlit me, you know, he hired me, so per, per se, to, to do that. And I took the athletic department online, uh, Coach K online, Grant Hill on, uh, online, and, um, we were smart. The group of us that got that started, we started a company, which eventually became Total Sports. And um, next thing I know, within six months, we had 25 clients. Wow. We had Georgia Tech, the Naval Academy, the Southeastern Conference, a bunch of newspapers. And so that's the genesis of Total Sports. And I ended up 
taking a leave of absence from Duke. I, I ended up uh, eventually getting a gentleman's master's. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I started that business with a couple of buddies and grew it into a large business and we sold it in late 2000. I love that. You know, just the fact that you're like, okay, we didn't get the helicopter slot. So I go to NASA. NASA sends me to business school, go to Duke. Duke led to the meeting with coach K and all the groups, which led to that. I just, <laughs> I love that chain of events. Well, it, 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 but it's like a it's like a theme, and like when I go when I go speak at business schools and and, and undergraduate programs, I always I always meet kids that are like, all right, I, I have this career plan. I'm going to do this for three years and this for four years, and and you know I always say to them like, don't worry about it. Right. Focus on the job you're in right now. Work your butt off, and that'll turn into other things. Yeah, it's having that flexibility and the openness of those opportunities like we're talking about, right? I'm sure it was kind of a crushing defeat that you weren't going to be a helicopter pilot because you had your mind set on it. Uh, like, you know, another way I talk about this is I've failed in everything I've tried to do. Right. And I, and I literally mean that. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. And I ended up being an armored cavalry officer. I wanted to be an astronaut. I launched the media business. Uh, you know, I... Um, Wanted to, you know, uh, change uh, kind of uh, content platforms when I was at NBC, NBC Universal. I ended up eventually going to CBS and, and doing that. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you can't look at failing at something as a failure, right? right? I, I, when, I fa- when I fail, I never really fail. I, I learn. And that's hard, especially, you know, with the, the millennial mindset these days. Um, it's really, really hard for people to hear. Well, you know, failure becomes, I've said this many times in this show that it becomes a nonsensical word. What does it even mean? I mean, what is, what does failure even mean? And I think it's because we, we, for, for whatever reason it's drummed into us that we have to have this plan and contingency plans for life. And, and I just don't think you can, I mean, you can, you, you plan to go a certain way, it's like I say, even in business, and that's probably the biggest thing I learned in flying planes in the Marine Corps is like you you have a plan, but you don't plan, you don't set up a plan hoping that everything will, I mean, you hope everything will go the right way, but you plan to deal with the inevitable unforeseen, if that makes sense. It's a subtle but different no, way I, of looking at I, it. I, you know? I, I, I agree with you. And, and you know, there's there's also the Mike Tyson adage, right? Everybody has a plan. Take a hit in the face. Right. <laughs> right. It's so true, and I think that if, if we're planning and, and thinking that life is going to be this linear set of well-executed plans, it's just like you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, when really it's this kind of jagged path, but at least it's going towards some... But you got to be... I think the key to that, though, is having tremendous self-awareness. I don't think if you're truly self-aware of who you are and, and really what it is you want to accomplish. I'm talking bigger picture, not just like I want to be a helicopter pilot, but even thinking like, well, I want to, to me, it's got to, it, it's always got to add value to something. You know, if you can sit there and say, I'm going to add value to every transaction that I come across, no matter how big or how small, particularly the small ones, then I think you're setting yourself up on a, on a winning tra- trajectory. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I, I'm not sure that, a lot of folks are wired that way these days. Yeah, so it can. I agree with you. I don't even know if I was wired that way, but once I started hearing that, once I started realizing that 
it's all about adding value, then the, then it's, then leadership and life and everything becomes a choice, right? No matter, and just like your example you gave, the obstacle became the way, right? The obstacle, and I think sometimes we think the obstacle is preventing us from our true calling, but really the obstacle actually points you towards the calling, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, I, I, uh, I left CBS about two and a half months ago, and, uh, you know, I'm, I remain very close with Leslie Moonves, the CEO. He's a friend and a mentor. And I, when I made the decision, uh, a bunch of my peers said to me, are you crazy? Like, I can't believe you're walking away from a, a role like that. And, you know, my response to them is, it's time, right? Like, I, you know, right. I may end up going back to work for Leslie, Leslie at some point. But, um, you know, right now it's about further professional growth and looking at some new opportunities. And a lot of people aren't wired that way. That's for sure. Yeah. What are your habits? I mean, if you could look back, your personal professional development habits, do you have any and how have they, they changed over the years? So um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in directed learning. And what I mean by that is I try to spend, I don't know, four to eight hours a week forcing myself to learn something. Right. Right. Whether it's learning how to write code, uh, improve my French, um, uh, certain, you know, like fly fishing, outdoor skills. And I'm not a uh, sit around and loaf kind of guy. And so in our house, you know, with our kids and my wife, there's not a lot of, a lot of us sitting around on couches on the weekends. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's a habit. And it's one of the smartest things I've ever done. Um, I would also say I probably read more than uh, most people in my peer group because I'm trying to stay on top of the industry and learn as much as I can. I like, I mean, I agree with you. I think reading has probably, probably been the biggest transformation. I've always read, but I voraciously read now. And I think that hasn't, improved at least from a self-awareness standpoint and on on a mindset than than anything else the what you said about forcing yourself to learn something new and and i'm impressed you know fly fishing whatever the case may be i'm curious i instinctively think i know what the benefits would be but i'm curious to see what have you seen as the biggest benefit of forcing yourself into different comfort zones what have you personally what have you seen the biggest change so um so it's funny you say that um and use that phrase because one of the things I've always taught my leadership teams that have worked for me is this phrase of get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And what I try to stress upon young executives is life's not the, you know, and business business life is not simple and things don't always go as planned. So you have to be ready to deal with some issues. And so by forcing myself to learn new things constantly, it creates a mindset. And it creates the ability to look at things, you know, at times with a skeptical eye. And at other, at other times, you know, looking at things where, you know, I can actually apply uh, a skill set or something I learned from one thing in my life to, an- to another. And um, once again, you know, people in general – tend to be 
I don't know, uh, lazy is probably the wrong word. You know, I, I think probably the way to say it is they try to take the easy way out. And um, for me, I, you know, it's all about trying to stay outside my comfort zone. Yeah, I, I, I love how you said you're getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because I think uh, on that, we seem to be wired or taught that when you have those feelings of uneasiness, the nervousness, the fear, the tightness of the throat, the butterflies in the stomach, that that's something to be avoided. I think that's a gift. I think there's something that's a barometer and probably something you should be pursuing because on the other side of that, something significant is going to happen, I believe. And once you get comfortable with that and seeing that that's a gift, then that's 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 kind of the edge of life. I mean, I, I think that's that tells me that you're living if you're you're pushing yeah, through I- that. I'll give you a great, great example is, um, so this past week, uh, I was on vacation with my family in Montana and I have younger children, right? Like I have an 11 year old and eight year old and they're both, um, fairly adventurous and strong swimmers. But at one point we went rafting and the water was moving pretty well through, you know, some rapids and stuff. And I looked at the two of them. And, you know, my wife was in the boat with us with a guide. And I checked this out with the guide. I said to the two kids, let's jump in and float down the rapids for the, you know, the next quarter mile. You know, no boat. Just, you know, right, with toes, and, life toes, and no, toes and nose out of the water, right? You, you kind of right. like the sea otter and you bounce your way down. And, you know, my kids were, you know, a little nervous. But long story short is I convinced them to do it. And, and you know, I got them comfortable being you know, kind of nervous and uncomfortable about it. And they were happy they did it. It was a great experience. You know, that mindset leads to what I call smart risk, right? It's like, I think yeah. it's not, you can't get through or you can't lead a significant life without executing some sort of risk and dealing with fear and uncertainty, but it's the smart risk, right? It's not the stupid risk. It's the smart risk. Yeah. I, uh, I, I call that, um, you know, I have a bunch of uh, ex-military buddies, and, and uh, what I'll call it is the careless risk. <laughs> right, yeah. I like that better, yeah, careless risk. How important, because you've been up there at the highest echelons in, in some major corporations, and obviously, you know, being an advisor to Les Moonves, I mean, that that's about as big as it gets. How important, I think a lot of times... Um, I'm talking to my 20 year old daughter and there's this perception is you got to, you know, you got to be political in your relationships. You got to be, you know, to get ahead, you got to step on people's backs. I'm, I don't believe that at all. I think honest, genuine, authentic relationships are still the key um, to, to making it in the corporate arena. So talk to me a little bit about your philosophy on relationship building and how we do that in an authentic way. So I, I'm the, uh, I guess the abnormal guy in the media business. Uh, I don't have a political bone in my body. Right. I I don't operate that way. I don't tolerate people on my teams that operate that way. Um, I think you have to have authentic relationships, and they have to be built on candor and communications. So if somebody's doing something great, you need to tell them. If somebody's doing something that's not great, you need to tell them as well. And... Um, what I, I have passed on roles at certain organizations because they're highly political. Right. And they're driven by a CEO that is highly political. And for me, if you're going to go work for a CEO that deliberately pits 
his direct reports or her direct reports against each other. Yep. That's a really bad, that's a really bad idea. I love that you said that. And what would you say to those? <clears throat> and probably one of the biggest questions I get on this show from listeners is there's, there are these mid-level or even they can even be director level, but they're in the middle of the organization and they're working for, or they're in a fairly dysfunctional environment, i.e. the senior leadership is dysfunctional. They're political. What would you say to that individual um, to, number one, uh, make it make an effect? I mean, what advice would you give that person? So I, if you work in a very political organization, you, you got to make some decisions, right? And, and I'm not saying quit your job and, you know, be unemployed. But what I, what I would urge people to do is figure out a way that you can operate in that environment without getting sucked in because if you end up becoming part of that political machine, whenever there's politics, there's always somebody that wins and there's always somebody that loses. Yep. And no matter how good you are, if you're political, you're at some point going to end up on the losing end. Yeah. And so, you know, the other way to think about it is if you're thrown in that environment, and, and I've given this advice to somebody as recently as about two weeks ago, uh, she had come to me and say, you know, my organization is really political. You know, my boss wants me to do this, but this other person who's a peer of my boss wants me to do that. Um, and I would ask the question of, you know, do you see your boss helping you with your career over the next 10 years? And the person was like, no, the, my boss is only out for themselves. And then I'd ask, what about the other person? Do you think the other person is somebody that you can, you know, work with over time? And, uh, you know, they're like, yeah, they, they've already taken me kind of under their wing a little bit. And so you've got you've to feel your way through it a little bit. It's a little bit more finesse than brute force. But if you can, the number one thing is try not to be political and try not to get sucked in. That's great advice, and I love what you said about it's more about finesse than brute, brute force. I think you really only get two options, and bitching about it isn't one of them. You know, I, I've been guilty yeah. of that, stand, standing around the water cooler complaining about, well, things if things, you know, so-and-so wasn't such a jackass, then we'd be fine, which is probably true, but how much of that can you affect? And so if that's not one of the choices, the other choice is either leave or if you decided to you know, make us go at it at the organization. I like what you said. It, it's... The finesse is make the decision to either establish a professional relationship with this person if you can. And I found that I've given that and I've done it myself to, to success, a successful uh, outcome. When I found that I started investing in this kind of dysfunctional leader on trying to make them a better leader, I found that they were more insecure than a lot of people realized. And so I tried to augment whatever their weaknesses were. were. Does that make sense? And I found, Yeah, no, I... And I found I that this, this dysfunctional leader actually was a lot more insecure than most people thought. And then I became more empathetic and then, therefore, again, became an asset to this, this individual. And I've, I've given that advice and I've done that myself and, and I've seen some success that way. So anyway, I love what you said there. The finesse part, you're absolutely right. It's not, it's not black and white. No, definitely not. You know, and thank you for those kind words. It's, um, there's a lot of people... Um, there's a lot of people that don't understand you, you can't always get your way in a straight line. Right, right. 
And that goes back to you said some great things there. What I heard in this relationship building, it, it to me, and I've said this time and time on this show, that it's about auth- the currencies needed are authentic- authenticity, vulnerability, which is a great strength and courage. And, and boy, you need a whole bunch of that courage. And again, these are all choices that you can make. And that when you realize that those are all things that are in your control, um, then I think the wiring, as you were talking about before, starts to get changed in your brain anyway, about what, you know, what it means to, to lead in a difficult situation. Yep, definitely. So what's next? I mean, wow. I mean, uh, here at CBS, you know, digital marketing has become your kind of, um, and digital media has become your, your forte. What's on the horizon for you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to figure that out. I'm, uh, doing a bunch of consulting and advising, everything from big media companies to startups. Um, it's been, uh, you know, a couple big brands as well. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm an operator at my core, so I, you know, I probably can see myself taking a, a role somewhere at the right organization uh, when when I find it. Um, at the same time, I'm spending a lot of time with organizations um, looking at how they're using data, because everybody, you go talk to any brand, any media company, uh, any service business, and they say, oh, we have a ton of data. And then I always will come back and say, okay, what are you doing with that data? Right. Like, how, how, how are you monetizing it? You know, and using data to retarget ads on the Internet isn't, isn't, a, isn't a long-term strategy, right? It's, mm-hmm. If everybody's collecting data on the same 200 million people and everybody's using that data – to target ads on Facebook, Instagram, or just on online, um, that's, that's not going to be a winning strategy. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, you know what, I'm just taking my time and, you know, I'll find the right, I'll find the right opportunity. In the meantime, uh, you know, the advising and consulting uh, opportunities out there have been great. What, what part of the world do you want to change? What's something that really bugs you? You know, I, uh, I lately I have been spending a little bit of time thinking about um, I, I use you know I use autonomous vehicles as an example. So in October of last year, I think it was Uber partnering with Anheuser Busch had a truck drive in in Colorado 120 miles to deliver beer. Uh, the driver got the car or this truck on the highway jumped into the passenger seat, the car drove itself, or the truck drove itself. Hmm. And so uh, autonomous vehicles are real. Um, I think probably by 2025, you'll see a significant amount of them on the, on the road. And I think the Department of Labor has said by 2025, about 1.8 million people that drive vehicles are going to be uh, unemployed. Wow. So what I always ask when I, when, I, when I do these talks is what do you think those 1.8 people, million people are doing about job retraining right now? Yeah, probably nothing. nothing. Right? And then the Department of Labor also had like another study about they estimated almost 2 million people will be unemployed working in grocery stores because of automation. And so – you're going to get to about 2025, maybe maybe as far as 2030, and there's going to be millions of people unemployed because the robots took my job. 
And so, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm starting to give a lot of thought to is what can be done now to help do job retraining for these folks. Yeah. Right. Because some of these roles are, are, are not going to be out there anymore. And, you know, will you be able to write code to, you know, do bus dispatching? Right. Right. Because if you're somebody that, let's say, drove a bus for 15, 20 years and now, you know, it's an automated solution, there's still going to have to be dispatching and there's going to have to be software behind it. And if you get out there and maybe try to learn how to code a little bit, it'll go a long way. And so I'm thinking about that a good bit because I think you're about to see just a giant transformation in the marketplace of jobs that take people right now and are going to be completely automated. And that's, um, that's going to be tough for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I think that if you look, I mean, it's, it's certainly coming. I mean, it's, there's enough out there that that's happening. And if you look, you know, that it's aware, but yeah, how do you take the initiative? What can you do? How can you be, because with every great transition or shift, there's great opportunities, right? So even Correct. though you say that, hey, we're, this industry is going away, but it's happened since the dawn of man, right? I mean, at some point, the guy that owned the buggy whip business had to rethink as cars, you know, started replacing the horse and carriage, right? So you may have been the key buggy whip guy in town, but what are you going to do with this wave coming down the, down the pike? Yeah, you know, I, look, a great, another great example is some of the rhetoric that comes out of the White House about, you know, manufacturing jobs being lost to, you know, other parts of the world, when the truth is about 80% of those manufacturing jobs were lost to automation. Right. Not going, not that stuff going abroad. And so it's just, you know, it's a different mindset. And People are going to have to focus on their education a little bit more and learn some new skill sets. Well, I love what you've done. I love your mindset. Again, you're the type of leader that we love to highlight here in Dose of Leadership. How can people you know, get in touch with you? Do you want people to connect with you? How can they find out more about you? So um, uh, the easiest way uh, on, on Twitter, it's ekuchars, which is E-K-U-C-H-A-R-Z. Um, additionally, uh, probably the best way to reach out is via LinkedIn. Uh, you know, it's Ezra Kuchars, which is E-Z-R-A-K-U-C-H-A-R-Z. Um, and those are probably the best two ways to reach out to me. Hey, and congratulations, too, on the um, appointment at Duke uh, as the um, entrepreneur in residence, I guess. Is am I saying that yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Congratulations Definitely. on that. That was, that was recently, right? Uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago. So uh, that uh, it's exciting, you know. I get to go back and teach at a place I went to graduate school in, and I'm going to be teaching undergraduates and, um, you know, uh, mentoring companies and things like that. And it's really exciting. Ezra, what an honor to know you. And uh, again, thank you for all the wonderful leadership nuggets and, and insights that you gave to this day on the show. And I'm proud to have you in the Dose of Leadership tribe. Thanks for coming on the show. Richard, thank you very much for having me, and, uh, and, and please, uh, I look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ezra. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com. 
can fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.